Well, good evening, friends and family of Mosaic. Welcome, welcome. The weather is beautiful outside. Uh, so I know we've got some people making it in uh, from the lobby, grabbing their coffee. Um, I wanna welcome you. My name is Kyle Jackson, and I'm the worship team leader here. Um, and as you can tell, I'm the only one up here. Um, this, was, this was planned, no worries. Uh, part of the vision of what we're doing with every fifth Saturday is for to deem the, the, y'all, the congregation, part of the worship team officially. So welcome, guys. You've made it to the worship team. And with that being said, I, I just wanna encourage you to sing loud, uh, sing proud, uh, and lift your voice high to Jesus. Uh, there's, there's no better thing than to lift a, a voice of praise to the Lord. So church, would you stand with me and we'll, we'll sing our first song together. Promise maker, the promise maker, the promise keeper. You finish what you begin. Our provisions through the desert. You see it through till the end. You see it through till the end. This is why we. Have a seat. Y'all sound beautiful. Keep it up. Beautiful. Thanks, Kyle. And I know Kyle just had you sit down. But hey, I'm Colin. Good to see you tonight. Hey, if you wouldn't mind, go ahead and take a moment and just greet one another. If you see somebody you don't know, this is your chance to introduce yourself. If you see somebody from across the room you haven't had a chance to say hey to yet, 
Give a hug, give a handshake. And uh, if you're new, we're so glad you're here. Um, we call this time Body Life. This is actually when we just talk about what's happening in the life of our church body. Um, if you ever want to know, if you want to stay plugged in, mosaicnwa.org slash news, you can get all the information there. And a few things that have been happening within our body here uh, is this first. We had some seniors, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Any in the room? Hey, any graduating seniors in the room? Okay. Go. Oh, please, Jane. Good to see you. Come on, Jane. And not only that, are, are any, any of the parents who have helped these children graduate in the room? Can you all stand as well? Let's give them a big round of applause. Come on. Yes. Wonderful. We, uh, uh, our, our student ministry team has a, has a long-standing practice where we do a senior banquet, and they did it this past Wednesday night where we get the families and the students together. They got personalized uh, journal Bibles and the book of Psalms, and uh, this is the, the generation that we are uh, not just like waiting for the future of the church, like this is the church now, um, and we, it's such an honor to get to be at a church where we get the privilege, not just of getting to come alongside in, in the journey with Jesus with these kiddos, but to even learn from them. So, Jane, other seniors, families, uh, thanks for being uh, here with us, and I hope even the graduation celebrations and all are really sweet to you and for you. Also, I didn't know this. Did you know May is like teacher month? Yeah, that's a big deal. Do we have any faculty or teachers or school in the room? Can you stand? Can we just take a second to recognize those folks? Woo! Look at our body. Yes! My goodness. Um, hey, those who are serving in the schools, public, private, homeschool, some of you are like, I've been doing that my whole life. Like, I'm, I got eight of them in my home. Uh, thank you. Thank you for the way that you're investing into our city. And uh, whether that's in the lunchroom, my, uh, both my boys had birthdays this week, and the lunch, their, one of their favorite gifts was the packet they got from the lunch lady as they were going through. And we spent like a buttload of money on Legos, and that was their favorite gift. But it had an impact. For those of you who are having impact on the lives of families and kiddos uh, in our schools, thank you, truly, truly. Um, we have a beautiful program for our students staying in that world um, called Antioch. Uh, have you done Antioch before, students in the room? Yeah, there's one of you. Uh, it's a summer program where students get together to really go deep in their faith and in community with one another. And so if you have an eighth grader going into ninth grade, it's high school, um, or, or any uh, 10th, 11th, 12th graders, and they're looking for some way to go deeper this summer, the last week of signups are like this week. And so we would love for your students to come be a part of that. Um, there's some really beautiful things. They're walking through the wisdom literature this summer. Like, are you kidding me? A bunch of high schoolers spending their summer going through the book of Job and through Proverbs, and it's going to be a beautiful time. But if you want to hop on board, please sign up. And this is really important. Um, we are going to be spending the month of May uh, taking some time to reorient to one another. So one of the goals we have here at Fellowship Mosaic is... Um, but Nick has continued to put in front of us, as well as Tom Toomer and our prayer team, is one that we would reorient to God. And so in this past year, we've been spending time doing prayer pauses and different practices and even things we'll do here in a moment in our services where we just want to fix our eyes and hearts on our King and friend Jesus, but also to reorient to one another and to get to know one another and go deeper in relationships. And one of the things that uh, at an organization like Fellowship that we need to make that happen is information and communication, right? And uh, we can be honest, at a church our size, we're not crushing it right now with some of our information and communication. And part of that is on me. And part of that's on us because we have a whole database that's not updated. Like recently, I had a phone call with somebody and they're like, yeah, we moved to Kentucky like two years ago. <laughs> um, so we're gonna be spending the month of May 
updating that information as well as getting to know one another. So here's how it's going to look. You're going to be coming into the foyer, into services, and there's going to be booths in each corner. And in each corner, there's going to be uh, somebody standing with a name tag and a pin. And they're going to say, welcome, what's your name? And you're going to say, my name's Colin. And they're going to say, hey, is this information accurate? And you can say yes or no. If it's yes, name tag time, come on in. And we're actually going to have some space in here to get to know one another, just like we did, but with name tags now, so we don't have the excuse of not saying hi to somebody because you don't know their name, because uh, it's written down. And for those of you who are new or the information's not updated, or you're like, I'm not getting emails, or like, I'm really struggling to connect at this place, we want you to take some time to fill out a form uh, on a device that, that will move from there. So all month of May, you're going to come into the foyer, check in, get a name tag, all so that we can spend some time getting to know one another so that we can build up to a family picnic where we're just going to do one service uh, that last uh, Saturday in May, and then we're going to go out and eat and play and have just a, a good time, weather permitting, and it's going to be sweet. So wanted to let you know that's coming, uh, but come in this next month not only ready to reorient to God, but, but ready to reorient to one another. Beautiful? Beautiful. One of those practices we do that we've wanted to reorient ourselves to God with is just a prayer for our offering time. Um, and when we do this, we, we hope that this prayer is beginning to be um, memorized for you as you come in and out each week. And in that process, we also hope that it would not just be like dead, useless words, um, but that it would actually be something that we would become a type of people who are generous like our God is generous. And so as we give our offering, if you're new or this is your first time, let it go by. Uh, uh, welcome. We're really glad you're here. If you call this place home, we would ask you not just to give, but to pray this prayer for yourself and those around you, that it could be true for us. Would you stand with me, family? And would you pray with me? Oh, Father, giver of all. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. We ask you to accept these gifts and use them to your glory. May they bring shelter to the homeless, comfort to the sick, rest to the weary, and hope to the hopeless. As you multiplied the offering of fish and loaves, multiply these to accomplish more than we can ask or imagine. We give freely not under compulsion, for all we have is yours, Lord, because nothing we can give can match your great gift to us, your Son and your Spirit. Amen. Let Sing this together. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like all of my days I want to praise the wonders of your mighty love my comfort my comfort my shelter tower of refuge and strength let every breath Never cease to work. 
seat for a moment. I'd love to share a story with you. Uh, part of my story uh, in my own faith journey has been wrestling with doubt, um, an extreme doubt uh, in my faith in Jesus. Um, and we're, we're going to encounter a little bit of that tonight in tonight's teaching. And as we were processing Natal and I of just uh, what, what we wanted our, our time of worship to look like tonight, this song uh, came to mind that I wrote uh, my first year here at Fellowship, actually. I did the residency program. I'd just gotten married. Um, this was my first job out of college, and um, I was just coming out of this season of extreme doubt uh, in my faith. Um, and I, I found uh, hope in Psalm 51. And this song is essentially about that. It's about the wrestling of my faith, and how scared I can be of myself sometimes, my own flesh, the hope that we have in Jesus to restore and, and bring us um, closer and nearer to him. So I would just love to sing this song over y'all um, and, and take these words in just to um, join in worship with you. God, you have mercy. 
Blot out my rebellion according to your love. I'm conscious, oh God, how I'm conscious of all the wrongs that I have done. Yes, God, I know you are holy. You're steadfast pursuing my heart as hard as stone. Indeed, I am guilty. My sins are before me from the time that I was born. So teach me in wisdom. Create me a clean heart. Restore me within your joy. Help me to sing holy. Show me to your glory, God. I want to see your beauty. Help me to sing holy. Would you stand for the reading of the word of God tonight? I'm Vic. My name is Marina, and I've been coming here for about 23 years. 14 of those years were spent leading high school girls uh, cell group, and it was a true honor. Tonight, I'm going to be reading to you guys from Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks for reading, Miss Maria. Appreciate that. All right, y'all. Well, two weeks ago, Nick, actually Colin, led us through a, uh, a passage where Jesus proclaimed truth on the road to Emmaus. And then last week, Nick led us through a passage where Jesus appeared amongst the disciples and promised that the message of repentance would go out to all nations. And tonight's passage for us, we're going to hear from Jesus as he proclaims that the messengers of repentance and faith will be us. So let's jump into this tonight together. Uh, we've used a phrase to kind of guide us through this risen series, and it's this phrase here, the resurrected Christ with us, his church, for the world. And, and we're using it to just help us make sense of each of these post-resurrection experiences. And we've been in Luke the last two weeks, but we're now jumping to the book of Matthew, and we're picking up one of the most significant passages of the New Testament. It's that vision statement for the church, uh, the Great Commission. Now, Matthew chapter 8 starts with uh, two of the Marys. Uh, they name them as Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I, don't, I wish there was some other signifier there. But Mary and Mary are going to the tomb of Jesus. And there we get a supernatural encounter with an angelic being. Uh, we get the frightened guards. And then the angel says to both Marys, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go and tell his disciples 
He is risen from the dead and is going ahead into Galilee. There you will see him. And then this, for whatever reason, he ends with, now I've told you. I just love that. Like, I don't know why that makes me giggle. Anyway, uh, and then the passage continues. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and they ran to tell his disciples, and suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said, and they came to him and clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And with the message now doubly delivered, we get a, a very quick interlude, verses 11 through 15, where the Jewish leadership and the Roman guards are conspiring together to, to craft a lie that the disciples have come and stolen Jesus' body. And then we get this great commission passage. Now, versions of this same message appear in each of the four Gospels. But the context of each, each take place in different contexts and with different emphases. For example, Luke and John use repentance language more, but Matthew focuses on discipleship and teaching. And if we were to order them chronologically from the time they left Jesus' mouth, uh, not necessarily the time that they were recorded, we would put John, then Mark, then Matthew, our passage tonight, then Luke and his culminating thought in Acts. That's also by Luke. Jesus is repeating this message a lot in a lot of different contexts with a lot of different little flavors, but he's repeating it a lot. He wants them to get it. It might even be the primary message of his 40 days before his ascension. So before we jump into Matthew, let's just read those other passages, just because it's good to get a survey of them. So John chapter 20, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Mark said, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We'll, we'll skip Matthew and, and jump to Luke. Luke is, he told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sin will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And he repeats this message in Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These five commissioning statements all have this same thrust. I, Jesus, am bringing about my kingdom on this earth. And I'm bringing you in on the work. Do this until I come back. That feels good and it feels hopeful. So let's jump into 28. It begins with the 11, the 11 disciples. Judas is dead and the rest are obeying the command they've received, delivered by the Marys from the mouth of the angel and the mouth of Jesus. And they've gone to Galilee, which brings Jesus's ministry full circle. If we jump back to Matthew chapter four, right after Jesus's baptism and his time of temptation in the desert, we read this passage. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. He was leaving Nazareth and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. And on those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, and Isaiah's passage saw us, the Gentile, and it saw us living in the darkness of death's shadow and looking for the sun of light. So the passage continues in Matthew. Uh, then the phrase, where 
had, where Jesus had told them to go. I am grateful that they obeyed. I'm grateful that they went and they heard this message and they were able to record it. But I, I, I have been convicted this week as I've reflected and so I'm going to convict you all as well and you can join me in this place of misery a little bit. Uh, are there places where our disobedience is making it hard to hear Jesus? Had they disobeyed and not gone, they wouldn't have heard. Are there places where our disobedience is making it difficult to hear from him? Now, in, in last week's passage, Jesus showed up in a locked room and it was just confusion. But here, in verse 17, it says, when they saw him, they worshipped him. It's the posture that every single one of us will take when we encounter our Lord face to face. It's humble worship from a heart of conviction and gratitude. And then there's this little nugget of a phrase. But some doubted, some hesitated. And it's a gift of a phrase. N.T. Wright says that this little phrase is one of the strongest marks of authenticity for the, the gospel of Matthew. Why would the author, when writing a story of a heroic resurrection, not make his guys believe it? That's just not a good story. And it's not one that they would have written. So it's, a, it's just a little nugget there. We've seen in these stories, though, a real and a messy history where Jesus' resurrection didn't immediately dispel every question the, the, the disciples had. It didn't immediately resolve their regrets or their shame at having abandoned him at his moment of crucifixion. Wright kind of continues, and he points out that there's a whole lot of unanswered questions that this little passage here brings up. It says, 11 are there. So if some doubted, how many is some? Is it two or three of the 11? Who were they? Was it Thomas again? Is he doubting afresh? Is it, uh, what, what were their doubts? Were they resolved? We don't get the answers. But it does make me think, if you're someone who has said, man, if only I could walk with Jesus, if only I could be there with him, it would be so much easier to believe. Maybe not, friends, maybe not. Maybe you're believing today as easily as you would have then. And you can give yourself a little grace because faith can be hard sometimes. Maybe you're somebody who said, those early Christians, they had such strong faith. So many of them went to their deaths for Christ. I can't imagine them having any doubts. Well, rest assured that the resurrection has always been unbelievable. Always. Even to his closest disciples. And yet they were, and we are, gifted with the grace of of faith. So what do we do with doubts? Nick's, Nick kind of started us on this conversation on doubt last week. And when we got to processing together, he said, man, I wish that I had, I had gone a little farther on it. And so on, on his behalf, I'm kind of bringing you a little bit of Nick's thoughts here, okay? He said, there are two ditches that I hear uh, doubt put in all the time. There's a, there's a ditch where doubt is just the coolest thing. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, wrestling with my faith. Uh, it's hip to think for yourself. Don't trust institutions. Don't trust the man. Abandon difficult ideas that are unpopular or uncomfortable. Doubt is kind of vogue right now, okay? Or the other ditch. Doubt is the worst. You sinners better not doubt. No, that you could barely even be a believer if you have doubt. No real believer even doubts. It's almost unforgivable. Doubt is the worst. Are you, is that kind of the two channels that we hear doubt? I, I agreed with that, and that's why I'm bringing it to you. But what if it's neither? What if doubt just is? 
Nick went on to say, doubt is a little like sin. We all have it. We don't seek it. We deal with it when we're in the midst of it. Doubt is not sin, but it's a little like sin. And it made me think of that paradoxical prayer. I believe, help my unbelief. And we can say them both and hold them in tension. Now, I personally get stuck sometimes with what actually, what, what do I actually say that I doubt? Because I think sometimes my tension is between knowledge and certainty. Now, do I know all the core doctrines of the faith that I espouse? Absolutely, sure. I've, I've been a believer more than half my life. I've worked in ministry with kids and others for decades. I know. But do I know that I know? Never. Never. I, I just don't have that confidence to, to go hard on it. I can, I can give you the, I know, but if you're going to push me and push me and push me, the certainty breaks me. Is that doubt? I, I, don't, I don't know. What do I do in the gap between knowledge and certainty? I think it's trust and obey. I think we trust what he said, and I think we obey as far as we're able. Now, in faith conversations, um, doubt and deconstruction have gotten linked together. And uh, in his book, Death to Deconstruction, Reclaiming Faithfulness as an Act of Rebellion, how's that for a book title? Uh, author Joshua S. Porter argues that deconstruction is always deadly because it's the systematic tearing down and abandonment of faith, often with little desire to redeem what's Good. It's inevitably both baby and bathwater thrown out together. But he argues, though, that we've unhelpfully lumped doubt in with deconstruction. Doubt, rather than something to be feared, is a main tool of spiritual formation. Doubt is a main tool of spiritual formation. So while I don't want to lead any of us toward deconstruction, I absolutely want to lead all of us toward the narrow road of discipleship through doubt, through spiritual formation into Christ-likeness. We all have to encounter ideas or questions or passages of scripture or people who challenge what we've thought or what we've been taught and we have to take them back to the foot of the cross with vulnerability we have to ask Jesus again, be the sun of light and expose whatever darkness there is in what I'm believing. Purify it, make it good, make it pure. So if you are deconstructing, can I invite you off that road and onto the narrow road of discipleship and spiritual formation? It's bumpy too, but it's, it's, it's the road that will change us and it will challenge us, and it will crush us, and it will comfort us. And if you are walking with someone who is deconstructing, some of our, our, our empty nesters at this point, um, I want to just say that I'm sorry, and it is hard, and it's a lonely place, but you're absolutely not alone in it. And I pray that your own vulner vulnerability uh, with faith through spiritual formation will soften the hearts of those you love and demonstrate a better way. And I don't say that tritely. I know that's a hard, a hard road to walk. But church, we don't have to fear doubt because we don't have to fear growth. We all want to be more like him. And it's going to require us changing. When I look at the the story of the disciples here, it's spiritual formation and discipleship and the spiritual disciplines on a path toward growth. Each, each of them, through questions, through all of this process, it doesn't even, it, it's still a muddle up until the point of resurrection. And he's encountering them here post-resurrection and, and still doing the work of, of clarification. And, um, and Colin put me onto this uh, quote from D.L. Moody this week. Um, that about three kinds of faith. He said there's a struggling faith, and that's the faith of somebody just in the open water, and they're trying to keep their head above water, 
and, uh, and it's hard work. There is clinging faith, which is a person hanging on the side of the boat. And there's secure or resting faith. And that's the person in the boat. And they're strong enough to reach a hand out and help someone else. Even though they're still right by the water, at any moment they could be pulled in. They could fall in. But to, to word nerd a little bit here, we've just manipulated three gerunds. There's a single noun, and the noun's absolutely the same the whole way through. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. It's faith. All three of these are faith. All three are good. And in all three, Jesus longs to meet us where we are. So I hope you recognize yourself as one of those. I hope so. We can continue. Matthew even affirms this. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So who is Jesus speaking to? Who's he delivering this assurance to? Who is them? Is it just those without doubt? No. Some doubted, and he comes to all of them, and he says this message of profound strength. It's for all of us. Struggling clinging, resting, the whole group of us. And that word, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. If there's a driving question in the whole of the scriptures, we tease it out in the, in the panorama class. If there's a driving question, it's who has the right to rule? And when there's one that has all authority everywhere we can imagine, heaven and earth, the answer's Obvious, and it's right in front of us. It's the resurrected King Jesus here releasing his disciples into his world to, to fulfill his kingdom purposes. And we get to sing hallelujah to the Lord of heaven and earth. We have seen uh, the weather, we've seen demons, we've seen nature all subjected to Jesus throughout his time of incarnation. And after the resurrection, the Father gives him all authority. It's having been temporarily restricted by humanity's finiteness, finitude. After the resurrection, he's got a glorified body. It's still real, it's still flesh and bone, but he now has total authority. It's authority over death through resurrection. It's authority over matter. His glorified body is appearing and disappearing at will. But a question, does it feel today for you like Jesus has all authority on heaven and earth? Does it feel like it? In your pain, in our sin, sinned against, or when we're sinning, in the face of death, everywhere. What do we do with that tension? I think we go back to trust and obey and lean harder on it. We continue. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Therefore, in light of my total authority, go confidently because I'm sovereign over all. And here's what I want from you make disciples. That's the only imperative command here. Make disciples. I'm sorry to do so many word nerd things tonight, but there's three participles that modify this noun. It's going and baptizing and teaching. But the thrust of the whole passage is make disciples. It's the key thought in the whole commission. It's first delivered to the 11, but it's now our marching orders. It's the work that the church does until he comes back. God desires for all of us, each one of us, to break that little piece if you're one who says it's for it's the, the work of the clergy or something. It, this is to all of us. I'm as guilty as the rest of you in this one. 
It's a word for all of us to make disciples in all nations, each one of us making disciples. So first, let's wrap our minds around what a disciple even is. Um, A good working definition to get us started from Tom Constable. He says, a good disciple is one who listens, understands, and obeys Jesus's instructions. Consider if you drop any one of those words, how that sentence changes. They seem each of those important, listen, understand, and obey. Disciples of Jesus must duplicate themselves in others. And I read far too many comics as a kid. When I say the word duplicate, my mind immediately jumps to Calvin and Hobbes, and Calvin invents a duplicator, right? And it's, it's his scheme. He's convinced that this is how he's going to break it open. He's, he's going to make more of himself so that any one of them only have to do a little bit of chores or go to school one day, and, th- and then the rest of the time they're just, they're just off. There's no responsibilities. There's no way that this could break. And spoiler alert, it breaks miserably. And uh, the first time through, he learns the hard lesson that the duplicator copies both the good parts of him and the evil parts of him. So then he upgrades his duplicator to only copy the good. He's like, I figured it out now, folks. If I only copy the best parts of me, we'll we'll be in the clear. So Jesus made 11 copies of himself, who then made copies of Christ, who then made copies of Christ. And now we, those of us in the room that are disciples, copies of Jesus today, get to make disciples by making copies again. And discipleship's attempts to only copy the good. It attempts to go, I don't just want you to become little Natsels. That would be horrific. But whatever Christ in me there is, I want you to follow that as we do life on life. It's a good idea, but how good are we at it? It's, when it's such a simple definition, uh, duplicate Jesus. It, it, it hits me like when he says, be perfect. I feel like I just come up short. So let's look and let the other three participles flesh out our picture of what discipleship is. We're going to make disciples as we are going. It's not a command for an individual. He said this to his fledgling baby church there in front of him. We will together as the church, make disciples. Some will go far-flung around the world to all nations, and some will not. I sit sometimes, and I hear opportunities to serve somewhere, or I hear a plea for something, and my heart just gets tugged. I'm, I'm kind of a bleeding heart. I don't answer the door at home. If they're salesmen, Kara kind of shields me from that, and we're, uh, we're financially stable as a result, so thanks for that. Um, but the, the question is, I, I have to remind myself, because the whole church is the one doing the work, not just me, that I am and we are in Africa and Asia and South America and North America and Europe and Australia because the church is there. And I can support that work. I can pray for other disciples and give generously. All of those are good things. And in this same vein, it's okay that I'm not the winsome grocery store evangelist. You know the type. It might be you. I'm grateful that you're in the body of Christ I happen to be gifted with kids in a way that others aren't. And so I know that my role is to love kids really well. And our culture's broken, so I have to find really socially appropriate places that I get to do that ministry work. But the key here on discipleship is the purpose, the purposefulness of it. Discipleship is purposefully duplicating the resurrected Jesus through my life, through your life, through our lives, into the lives of others. And we continue to make disciples. The second word he gives, we will make disciples by baptizing new believers. We'll help people come to a personal saving faith and then help them declare it publicly 
through baptism. And baptism in this passage serves as an affirmation that the person is a disciple. They're partaking in the symbol of baptism as a pledge publicly of loyalty to Jesus as Lord. Now, baptism coupled together with communion are the two ordinances, the two celebrations that Christ gave the church to help us understand and tell the story of his life, death, and resurrection. Baptism is a one-and-done thing. Communion, we'll be taking it later together. Uh, it is something that can happen every time that we gather. And this baptism, as it's explained here, is done in the Trinitarian name of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And don't have time to jump into the deep end there, but if you want to go, uh, you can jump on the website, find the We Believe class if you haven't taken it. Uh, just the video for week or session three is theology proper, and it's all about God. And they're going to work through this definition of what it, what is, what Trinity even is. And it's a, it's about a half hour, so it's worth your time if you if you want to invest in that. Uh, but we can continue, and and we will make uh, the third one teaching. We will make disciples by teaching them to obey Jesus's commands. Uh, what has Jesus commanded us? I did a quick Google search, and I found a, a document that was the 50 commands of Christ. I don't know how exhaustive this list is, and if it's all of them or not all of them. That's a lot. There was a lot of, like, exp like a little shock and awe in your faces. I feel it, too, as somebody who has to maintain a list of things, even things that I do weekly to remind myself to do them. A list like this is overwhelming to me. I, I can't keep it all in mind. And I, you know, I, I start to go, what's the most important one? Or what are some of the most important ones? Or which ones does he emphasize the most? Or are any of these ones that were for certain people and maybe not for me? I don't, so, so let's, I found a guy. He's a missionary. His name's George Patterson. And he had the same difficulty with this list because he was teaching in an illiterate context. And he said, these people don't have a written language. How am I to teach them this whole list? They can't possibly remember this whole list in, in the first go. They might eventually memorize it, but how, how might I help them? And so on a long trek through the journey with a new convert, they were talking through all the things that Jesus had commanded, and they distilled it down to seven basic commands of Christ. This feels like one I can kind of get my hands around. Seven basic commands. So we've got the command... We've got the, under the, the title command is the reference in the Bible where Jesus gives this command. And then we've got a story out of uh, one of the scriptures that is an easy way to kind of read this and see this command fleshed out and in action. But let's just kind of briefly read through these. First, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. We're turning from sin in conviction to Jesus, and then we're following him moment by moment in trust and obedience. Number two, be baptized. Declare your commitment to trust in Christ in front of your church. Obey him. Number three, Lord's Supper. Take communion with other believers and remember him. Number four, love. This is kind of one of those all-encompassing ones, but love God and love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. He even said, be a good citizen. Be someone who carries themselves in love and is easy to be around. Number five, give. Be generous people. One person said that servanthood is the essence of discipleship, and if that's the case, then give of yourself radically. Number six, pray. Bring thanks, bring questions, bring trust, bring yourself to God and be with him in prayer. And finally, seven, make disciples. Duplicate Christ in those who will trust and obey. And doing these seven things faithfully will require us to be purposeful. We don't just do these to earn favor or check boxes if if. If you're scared of, of uh, being nailed down to some sort of like, I, oh, it's all about obedience for you guys. I, this, this, oh, I don't like this. This isn't not comfortable to me. I, I just hope that you can hear him say, man, if you love me, 
You'll obey my commands. And then he gives these commands and they're life-giving. They're absolutely life-giving. They help us know how to love God and love others. And even if we get overwhelmed by the lifelong nature of these, they're gonna be kind of over our days and years, ups and downs in these. We can daily do these, never reaching the end. And yet he ends all of these requests with a promise that we're not alone. This is the culmination of the passage. He's taught us everything, and and now we're at this last thought. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Notice the repetition of the word all through this whole passage. He has all authority. He sends us to all nations to remember every or all things that he's commanded, and he's with us always. That's literally the whole of every all the days. It's a lot of all. There is a totality to Christ's care and his control. And this promise culminates, ends this book in the same way that Matthew started it. Look at verse 1, or chapter 1, verse 23. It's the virgin will conceive and give birth. He's quoting Isaiah, and he says, we'll call him Emmanuel, God with us. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So where does it leave us? He's with us, but where does that leave us? I think we're brought back to a place where we must trust and obey. We've got doubts and we choose trust. We've got commands and we choose to obey. And we're gonna keep making disciples. And what's this look like tangibly at Mosaic? Just a few little quick ones. Uh, rooms all over campus tonight that are full of disciples duplicating Christ into the next generation through kids and student ministries. Love it. It looks like small groups, like my own small group, showing up week after week and doing life together. Them challenging me, me having opportunities to challenge them to live into these seven basic commands of Christ. It looks like parents shepherding kids and grandkids, roommates spurring one another on, friends calling friends to walk the road of discipleship. He's always with us in our doubt, in our fear, in our trust, in our obedience, with faithfulness and steadiness. We're about to end with a a, a Selah moment, and it's just going to be silent up here. Uh, We're going to leave these uh, seven up there in the trust and obey. And, and we're gonna just spend some time quietly asking God to bring one of these to the forefront for you. I'm not walk, asking you to walk away with all seven. Just, God, what's the one that you're stirring me on this evening? And as you consider it and as you reflect on it and ask God just to challenge you to become a bit more like him by living into one of these commands with greater obedience and greater trust.
we're going to enter into a time of communion uh, for the rest, rest of the half of this, this service. And I just want to set it up through reading this passage out of Corinthians. Um, and just the instructions are to come down, uh, grab, grab the elements yourself. And then if you'll hold them till the very end, we'll take communion together. Uh, but just to invite it and set up this time uh, at the table together. It says, for I've received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is for you. And do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way after the supper, he took this cup and this, he said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So I invite you now to come forward as we sing and worship to grab your elements and make it back, make your way back to your seat.
together just our voices trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and oh let's sing it again y'all sing trust and obey To be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen. So if you would take the elements and hold them and grab the bread. And Jesus said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. In the same way, after supper, he also took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and drink. Father, we trust you. Lord, we love you. Lord, and we want to keep in step with your spirit. Thank you for not leaving us behind, Lord, but giving us direction and clarity for what to do now. Lord, give us grace to step into our fears and our doubts. Lord, for we know that there's trust and love in those questions that we have. We love you, Father. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, if you'd like to, to leave a prayer request for our team to pray for you or have a member of our prayer team pray with you, We'll have our prayer team along the sides, and we also have some cards in the back you can drop in a slot. We'd love to pray for you. Uh, we'll have some of our leaders in the info booth to connect with you. Uh, let's go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And people said, thanks be to God. See you next week, church.